Hello, humans. Welcome to The Vine Down. I'm Emily Smith. I hope all of you out there had really good holidays last week, um, and I hope that you got some time away from your day jobs. And I'm really excited to be back this week with a piece of professional development that I've been thinking about a lot uh, recently and just over the course of my career, which is conflicts and difficult conversations. Um, I am here without a guest. This is weird. I usually talk with somebody today. I'm just me and myself. Um, but we're here to talk about uh, the difficult conversations and some tools because this is a topic that most people are uncomfortable with. Um, and I want to introduce myself. I want to introduce College Vine and then we'll get right to it. Uh, if you don't know me, I've been in this space for about 20 years. I may or may not be a vampire at this point. I don't really know. And at this point, I've worked across four companies and at least worked with at least 500 colleges on everything from student search, CRM, um, done a lot of enrollment and process consulting. And in that span, I've worked a, dealt with a lot of conflict. I've worked at a number of startups that you know change violently, quickly. Um, products aren't ready. Things are broken. Uh, and like, I've truly gotten to a place where I sort of live and breathe in conflict. I've also worked for bigger, sort of slower companies where conflict was more taboo. And I've been sort of out in front of like configuring and selling some really big, but imperfect solutions that get to sort of angry customers, angry colleagues, you name it, done it. And this is going to sound weird, but I'm kind of a hobbyist on, uh, difficult conversations and conflict. Former colleagues at, a, at another company used to joke that like if we had an angry customer, they would like parachute me in. Um, and these are skills that I've gathered on my own in roles in my professional life, but also in my personal life. I've had a lot of therapy and sort of my own like hobby level reading on the topic. Uh, and I'm really excited to share it with you today. Uh, so if you don't know about College Vine, want to make sure that you do know about College Vine and you know about us. And we care about like really human topics like this. And you'll see see why when I talk about how we deal with students. But you can think about College Vine like LinkedIn for high school students, where students join, create full professional profiles in order to get recruited by colleges. Um, they are here to field connection requests from colleges, do all of their work in their sort of college-facing journey. And the way it works for colleges is that you send connection requests to students, usually at scale, and the students either accept the connection requests or they dismiss them. And if the connection request is accepted, all of their profile data, um, you can see an example of a profile here, goes into your CRM as a super deep inquiry. Um, and we know these are super deep inquiries because these students apply at at least a 20% rate um, and they're in control of the network of colleges that they are connected with. We limit the number of colleges that a student can connect with, keeps it really organized for them and super high signal for you. Um, and we've got more than 2 million students on the network and we've got hundreds of colleges recruiting, tons of guidance counselors as well, high school counselors who are doing all of their work here with us as well. So we are really explicit with students about like why they're here on College Vine, what they're here to do. And on the, um, on the college side, like they know they are sort of doing this really human recruitment at scale. So from our perspective, it's really important for us to be candid, human, help our college partners be candid and human, help our students be candid and human. And conflict is one of those things that is nothing but human. So we're going to talk today about uh, conflict. And this is not something that this, uh, this topic is not going to like, or this show, watching the show is not going to like bring on more conflict into your life. My argument to you, dear viewer, is that if you're having conflict 
resulting in difficult conversations and resulting in escalation. Like this is happening all the time. This is happening in your work life. And this might look like disagreeing with a college, this or a colleague. This might look like breaking bad news to a student or a family. This might mean that you're communicating something about your internal CRM that's broken or something that's student facing that's broken, right? Like a more technical thing. We all deal with angry parents and angry students, hurt students, um, and are negotiating conflict and um, escalation and difficult conversation all the time. And this stuff like affects us personally. And, and sometimes it feels really personal. It may make our heart race, but I'm here to normalize it. And I'm here to tell you, like, there are things you can do both for yourself and in your organization of the work that comes when you're dealing with conflict um, that will make you feel a lot better and a lot less afraid a lot less um, sort of afraid of your own sort of emotional response um, and uh, things you can actually do to work through this. It's also no surprise that we're sandwiching this show in between winter holidays. Thanksgiving was last week. Um, we didn't have a show and on Thursday. And I'm sure many of us were handling some difficult conversations and conflict within our families, right? If you have like that big conversation around the Thanksgiving table and if your family is like mine and you sort of can get into politicking or you get into negotiating around like me and my mother about like who's cooking something better and why we do it a certain way. Um, that was, that's like a piece of conflict. Those conflicts can escalate and yield some difficult conversations. I know I was having some difficult personal conversations and uh, I used a bunch of these tools and you know what? Like I didn't do it all perfectly and I'm still standing in my imperfection, which is my own work. Um, and here we go. So here are some tools to work uh, for the for difficult conversations and escalations ahead. Um, we'll spend the rest of our time talking about like how conflict works and the different types of conflict that we can have. We'll talk a little bit about how stress and conflict, like what actually is happening in your body and brain when those things are going down. We'll talk about how you can take care of the initial stress response so that you can get better access to your best thinking, creativity, and sort of your best brain. We'll talk about sort of the ways in which those can go offline. And we'll talk about some tools and some words you can apply for everyday scenarios and dealing with conflict, whether you're dealing with colleagues or families or students or even like in your own personal life. Okay. Man, I miss having a guest. So we'll talk about like why some amount of conflict is good. Um, and I've got a bunch of sources here from outside that I'll share with, with all of you. This is um, a two-by-two two from Amy Edmondson, who talks and writes a lot about psychological safety in the workplace. And I want to make the case that some amount of conflict in your work life is actually really good, and it's actually really expected. So in this two-by-two, two, we have sort of um, ranging from, on the left, um, things that are both like highly psychologically safe and at a low level, psychologically safe, and on, across the bottom, um, low performance to high performance. So in any quadrant graphic, you kind of want to be, you want to strive for that top right, like learning zone, which is both highly psychologically safe and high performance. There's a lot of uh, conflict that comes in across all of these things. I'll make the case to say like in the comfort zone, which is highly psychologically safe, but stuff's not getting done. Um, conflict isn't happening as much. In the apathy zone, there is some conflict and it's not quite safe. And in the anxiety zone, there's quite a lot of conflict and it's probably not getting you anywhere. The learning zone also has conflict. This is the most highly psychologically safe and the highest performance. In this learning zone, 
the conflict that you experience here is likely going to feel like the most productive for um, uh, like learning growth. It's sort of the conflict that like, it feels hard while it's happening, but once resolved, you're going to get to better work product and better outcomes. So that's a case to say, depending on the environment in which you're working, um, you can have more or less conflict. But just because you're working in a conflict where or in a context where like you don't have any conflict, that might not be good. So I would encourage you to look and think about your teams and the ways that you're organizing yourself and your work to locate yourself in one of these quadrants to say, okay, we're not having any conflict, but like, is anything actually happening? Um, or we're having too much conflict and it's crossed over into toxic. So the conflict that happens in the learning zone can feel a lot like uh, type two fun, if you're familiar with that concept, which is like, it's not fun while it's happening, like you're hiking up a mountain or you're doing something that's like physically hard. Um, it's not fun while it's happening, but it sure feels rewarding later. So you can think about that learning zone a little bit like type two fun, where you might have some conflict that feels useful. Okay, so I want to talk about the types of conflict. And this comes from a different Amy. We have lots of Amy's today. Uh, this comes from a different Amy. And this is a person I actually met. And between my last company and starting at College Vine, I took myself to like a really fancy spa, which was very on me. Usually I would take myself camping like by myself and like stare into a cactus for several days. But in between jobs, the last time I wanted a little more luxury. So I took myself to a spa and I found myself on a lounge chair next to this woman who is an author and speaker. Her name is Amy Gallo. Um, and I'm pretty sure she was like magically placed there just for me. She wrote an excellent book called Getting Along, um, How to Work with Everybody, Even Difficult People, and has wrote numerous articles on this topic um, about conflict. And she's narrowed down types of conflict into relationship, task, process, and status. And all of the conflict that we experience in our work life can be categorized into these four boxes. The relationship contact con conflict is more like clash of personalities. And this can be happening internally in your admissions teams where you're like, gosh, darn it, Barb from processing just doesn't understand like why we do things a certain way upstairs. Or um, gosh, I really just don't like the way Megan chews her lunch. Like these are personal sort of uh, class or clash of personality or style, often style. Task uh, conflict is more like the the why, like you're disagreeing on the why, disagreeing on like why we're doing something or why we're prioritizing. And this can feel somewhat unresolvable, especially if you're dealing with a like a student who's asking you like, got, like why didn't I get in? Why am I not getting the financial aid? Um, th that disagreement on why we would categorize as task process, the or task uh, task conflict the process conflict is more like a disagreement about how you're doing something, right? Like how we process applications, how we read files, how we talk to students about a certain thing. Um, this can get really tense, particularly for internal teams, um, admissions teams. Um, but often this process is, uh, maybe this is my, maybe I'm playing favorites, but this process improvement is the, um, is the thing to get really intense about, which will like lead to a lot of growth. The status conflict is about who's in charge or who's getting the credit for something. This is probably going to come for you more internally. And if you're an admissions leader, this may come for your team more than you can realize or see. 
So I would encourage you if you're an admissions leader to look at status, power conflict, um, and keep an eye out on this and for this, because you may not see it as much. If you're more of an individual contributor in your admissions team, you may feel it, be feeling it all the time. This may also come to play when you're talking with students and families about financial aid, because you essentially are holding the money and they are not. So that's the different types of conflict. Um, and that's coming from um, uh, an HBR uh, article that, or a book actually that Amy Gallo has written and I'll link to all these sources at the end. So that's the type of conflict that we can see to, to organize it. Before we get into what to do, I want to share with you what's actually happening with you when the storm rolls in, like what's happening in your body and brain when you are confronted with conflict. We're going to spend some time here because if you can understand what, like what is actually happening to you, you're going to make better decisions about actions you can take that result from this like physiological response, which you actually can't do much about. This is like when people talk about like fight or flight, or sometimes people will say fight, flight, or freeze. Some people will add fawn to that, which is more like of a relational thing that you're going to experience in your uh, personal relationships more so than at work. But fight, flight, freeze, fawn as an optional add-in. And this is really like a carefully orchestrated cascade of hormonal changes that are supposed to help humans like caveman humans who are like running from life-threatening stressors. So even though we know we're not like running from a bear when someone is mad at us at work or when we've messed up at work or when we have to deliver bad news to a student or a family, like the things that are happening in your body are just the same. And we're going to talk a little bit about brains in like a non-zombie fashion. And I, this is like just some brain science. Like I did not think we would ever have a, um, a, picture of a human organ on the vine down, but like, okay, here we are. I want to talk about your limbic system, which is the thing in your brain or the set of things in your brains, structures of your brain that's that uh, organize your behaviors and your emotions. So the amygdala is sort of in the center of your brain. This is the thing that sends signals to your hypo hypothalamus, which is the command center for the rest of your body. So amygdala is sending a signal to hypothalamus and is going to tell your body like what to do, how to act. And your hypothalamus works through your autonomic nervous system, which is like the involuntary functions of your body, your heart beating, your breathing, all the things. And your autonomic nervous system has uh, two parts. The sympathetic nervous system, which is the thing that like gets you going into action, revs you up. It's like the gas. And the parasympathetic nervous system, which like is the brakes. That's like the thing that shuts you off. So when your hypothalamus activates the sympathetic nervous system, that's the gas, your adrenal glands in your body respond by pumping you full of epinephrine, which is the same thing as adrenaline, right? Like we've all had that feeling and, and most of us can slow down to conceive it. Like you feel threatened and you feel this like surge of, even if you can only perceive it to be like energy, you can feel this surge of adrenaline. And this adrenaline brings on physical changes, right? Like it's, it's preparing you to run like hell from the bear. Okay. It's having you breathe faster making your heart beat faster. It's getting you more oxygen so that you can become automatically like way more alert. And it's giving you all of these things for uh, uh, initial energy. It's also like dumping a bunch of like sugar and fat energy into your bloodstream. It's like, okay, get ready for a battle here, people. 
And this is happening, this adrenaline dump is happening before your visual and audio centers have even processed what you think you've seen or heard. So this is not something that you can control, this, this stress response. This is like something that's happening before you're even done listening to the person who you're going to be in conflict with. And to help keep you in the state, a different gland, um, your pituitary gland creates like then a bunch of cortisol. And that's like the stress hormone that we most hear about when we think about chronic stress, like, a, you know, bad stress for all the time. That's like the thing that sort of propels you into to high alert. And then finally, that parasympathetic nervous system comes back on to like dampen the stress response and give you the breaks. Okay. So all these things are happening in your brain. You cannot control them. This is a physiologic response. And the case I want to make about like how to handle this or what happens when our brain essentially goes, takes our creative thinking offline is you have to do some things for yourself first to get your brain back online, or you're going to make crappy decisions. Okay. So five things I want you to think about your breathing, your body, maybe a mantra you can repeat to yourself, a way to label your feelings. And then potentially if things feel like really bad, take a break. Okay. So the breathing part of things, if you've heard about box breathing or square breathing, there are ways for you to slow down your breathing. Okay. So this is like a thing you need to do. If you're in conflict, you need to slow down your breathing so that you can bring your brain back online. You can breathe in for four counts, hold your breath for four counts, breathe out for four counts, and then hold your breath again for four counts. That's what a box breath is. And that's a thing that will tell your body and brain, like, it's cool. We're cool. We're going to like come up with something good here. The next piece is to, to know where you're like, what your body is doing. I, if I'm feeling like I'm in conflict or someone, particularly if someone is angry at me in my work life, I will come back to my body in a really, um, a really interesting way. I'm going to give you my tell, because if you're in a meeting with me, or if you're watching me present, you will probably see me do one of these two things. You, you might not be able to see my feet, but if you can see my feet, you will see me wiggling my toes in my shoes. I will also sometimes rub my hands together. And these are things that like bring me back to my body so that I'm not like telescoping into outer space with my own stress response on my perception of the conflict that's about to happen. The, the words I like to think of in this time are that I like to put my head where my feet are. So my feet right now are in this room in Colorado. I need to put my head right here right now. Um, and that's a thing you can do to get like back in your body. You can very quickly repeat a mantra to yourself. This is um, one of these is from Amy Jensu, different Amy, who's an author about like con confidence and anxiety and leadership. Um, she has her clients repeat to herself, go to neutral, go to neutral. This isn't about me. This isn't about work. And this will pass. If any of these things feel like they resonate to you personally, like these are great things to grab and just bring into your life when you're like immediately feeling that conflict. The next thing to do is to label your feelings and locate them in your body. Like really interesting tidbit here that um, feelings don't last for very long. We might feel like they last forever. They last for about 90 seconds. Okay. So when you have an intense feeling, it lasts for 90 seconds and there's very little that you can do to control the feeling. So if you get into conflict and you feel surprised, this is this orange slice is surprised, you might feel like there's a difference between feeling like startled and excited, right? Like th this is a feelings wheel and there are lots more names for feelings than you might realize. And naming your feelings, labeling your feelings, knowing that they only last for 90 seconds very quickly allows you to give the scary feelings less weight 
And it's super organizing about like what's happening and why. The really interesting thing is that you can bring labeling feelings and the body thing together in, in one sentence. And if you, if you don't know this framework, this is a really important one. You might think, I feel really nervous and I feel it in my body right around my neck. That sentence, if you can like locate feelings within your body, label them and say where you feel them, like gets them gone real fast, especially uncomfortable feelings. Um, so I think that's awesome. The next thing you can do or last thing you can do is take a break, right? If you get into conflict, something pops up or you, you're about to get in trouble or if you've done the wrong thing or if you have to deliver bad news uh, or you have a family who's mad at you or you've messed up in a presentation, um, you can, if you're starting to feel stressed at a last result or a last resort, you can take this initial break. Something you could say to colleagues, which would be really vulnerable and particularly admissions leaders out there, I would love a goal for 2024 for you to say in a meeting at some point, if you can notice all these things happening, I'm flooded. I need a second. Okay. That's going to show vulnerability in your leadership, which will create psychological safety for your team. And I'm not talking about like 10 minutes. I'm talking about 30 seconds. Like I just need a second. You can sit there in the room, come back to your body, name your feelings, and then move on. And all of these things, if you can do these five things around taking some breaths, coming back to your body, labeling your feelings, potentially taking a break, will bring your brain back online. And I'm intense about these things because if you just roll forward into that like adrenalized response, what actually happens is that the prefrontal cortex in your brain, which is the thing that gives you like creative thinking um, and next steps, that's like completely offline. For those of us who have kids, you can see this really clearly in your kids. If your kids are angry, scared, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, or they're about to get in trouble, like they're starting to shut down and they've like completely reverted into like the younger kid, right? Like, or the kid who doesn't have any access to any creative thinking or executive function. Um, we'll talk a little bit about all of those things throughout, but I really want to encourage you to come into your body, come into your breath, la label those feelings before you get into any of the solutioning. Um, some ways for us to take this stuff into action, and this is sort of like the framework piece of things, the tools piece of things, and this is where I will invite questions, comments. I can see folks as you uh, type in. Um, I really want to hear from you about like situations. We can talk them through. This is like a radio show. Um, we can talk about like words you can say and ways you can take this uh, sort of conflict into action. So once you get your brain back online, you can do a number of things to move forward and out of conflict. And again, this will work for whether you're in conflict with your internal team and folks you work with in your admissions office, or as you're about to do something hard with an external facing group, whether that's like you're meeting with your board of trustees and you have to give them bad news, or you have to meet with a student or a family or whatever it is that's getting your heart racing in that way. So I would encourage you to do three things as a as like a, a repeatable framework to deal with conflict. One, you got to make sure you understand it correctly. Like you might need to do a little discovery when you get into conflict with somebody for whatever reason, because whatever you are assuming is your own perception. And we are all striving to make a lot of meaning about things as they happen, right? Like we're all trying to organize all the time. So I want to make sure that I, I encourage you to get into a, a place of curiosity first. This also, the side benefit here is that it 
um, it buys you some time, right? Like, especially if you're kind of simultaneously doing some of the calm down steps we talked about earlier, it, it kind of gives you a buffer between like getting into the next action and also confirms that you're going to get into action correctly. So first is to ask questions that, um, that clarify. And I would encourage you to ask non-judgmental questions if you can. Um, and these are like genuinely curious questions. If you can get to this place where you're like separated from what you think or why it feels wrong to you and just be curious. Like you're not, you're not losing any ground here if you are simply curious. The next thing is to say it back to somebody, right? Like, okay, I think I hear that from your perspective, you think this is what's happening or this is how you would prefer to do it. And that step is really important because it shows the other person. It's like a bid for that other person's um, partnership. Because if they feel like you are hearing from them, they feel seen and heard in a really deep way and their stress response will come down. Your 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 sympathetic nervous systems will actually co-regulate with each other, which is like the magic of electrons between humans. I don't even understand it, but it actually does happen. So if you say it back to them and and make sure that you understand it correctly, you're going to have a better partner in getting to action later. And here's like the key move here is the validation step. Validation does not have to come with agreement. And validation looks like um, I can see that this is really hard for you, or I can see that um, this feels uh, really bad, or I hate giving you this news. Anybody would feel really upset. You do not have to agree here, especially if you're in conflict with something like, let's say you're the CRM administrator in your admissions office and you've like something has broken in the CRM that's affected someone else's work. Let's say your director can't get to a certain report. They might be really angry and they might be directing that anger at you, even though something broke without like you're being at fault, like you know, the vendor took their application offline for, for a minute. That's not your fault. You don't have to own that. You can actually validate the feeling uh, without agreeing. Um, those things are actually separate. And a lot of us think that validation comes with like losing ground and must come with agreeing. And it doesn't always. So you can um, use a sentence like this, like given that you see or feel this, I'm feeling that you think this, like, is that right? And that's a sort of a sentence framework to get to get all of that together. Correct me if I'm wrong is another really, um, really important sentence starter that you can use. Do I have that right? Um, and then naming people's feelings is also a really human way to go. Like, yeah, I can see that that would feel really awful. Like that is an okay thing to say at work. Um, you don't have to be like super robotic. We are just humans working together. The next piece here is to get to next steps and get into action. There are certain personalities with whom we work who like to stay stewed in the toxic and the feelings and the perception of wrongs. A really strong leadership move that you can make, regardless of the level that you operate in in your admissions office, is to get people into action. That is a superpower that you can that you can use in conflict. This will only be available to you if you do those calm down steps in your brain. Um, and I would I encourage you to get to a place where you're co-creating next steps or at least getting buy-in. So like, I think we should do this or I think we should treat it this way. I think we should talk to this family in this way. I think the presentation would actually be better if we did it like this. Like, how does that sound to you? 
Or simply, if you don't know and don't want to go first, like, what do you think? Do you have an idea of how you want to resolve this? Um, that usually works more for colleagues who are disagreeing and in conflict more so than like when you're dealing with a family because you have to drive those next steps and they have to feel like the other person has co-ownership with you. And ideally, you'll get to a step where you get to enthusiastic agreement. That's ideal. Um, enthusiastic agreement looks like someone who says something back to you and is like, yeah, that would feel good if we could do that. Um, you can ask questions here. Like, does this feel like something you could get excited about? Does this feel like something you could live with? And then being the one to celebrate the agreement and to like describe what happens is what just happened is really organizing for the group. So if you're in committee, let's say, and there's some disagreement or conflict about admitting a student or not, you can walk through like, okay, so here's how we're going to treat this student. Here's how we're going to like, this is a student we're going to wait list. Like this feels like a solution we can all live with. And like this felt really difficult because this student, you know, spoke to some of us in this way and others of us, the student didn't resonate with. And still we found a solution we can live with. And I'm really happy that the group found an agreement that feels reasonable to everybody. Like, good job. Calling this out is another super, like, amazing skill for humans to do, to be able to call this out, celebrate it, stamp it, and move on. Okay? There are two types, last thing here, two types of conflict that require really special communication. <laughs> and those are escalations and challenging feedback. So... When we talk about escalations, um, I'm going to bring something in from like actually healthcare and aviation and military, which is called closed loop communication. There are elements of this when we talked about sort of validating. This is more formal. We're going to provide an outline for you for this. Um, this is like what we use when, um, let's see, when have I used closed loop corrective action during like a really difficult support case when I worked at um, Fire Engine Red or Target X on the CRM side, something got broken or if a piece of software functionality gets broken or data goes missing or a report is not available, you need to move into more formal closed loop corrective action communication. And this comes from military aviation healthcare where the stakes are really high. And the reason why it feels uh, really important and really effective is that it brings a level of formality to the communication. So someone says, like, this is broken and this is awful. And you say back to them, this is broken and it feels awful. Okay. And they say, like, yeah, it's broken and it feels awful. So it may feel like a lot of extra steps, but it's bringing formality into the communication in a way that is really helpful. And this looks a little bit like this. So first you summarize what happened. At this time, on this date, we tried to do this and expected this, but this other thing happened instead. Okay, that's how that sentence goes. When it happened and what happened. It's completely neutral. No one is getting blamed. It's just describing the thing that happened. Then you're going to move into root cause, which is why the thing happened. Like this happened because our servers went down. This happened because our vendor went offline. This happened because we gave the wrong, like the student, the wrong financial aid package. The corrective action is what we're going to do about it. And this corrects the why, okay? Like what we did or plan to do. So um, in order to correct this, we are going to offer this student 
um, this aid package instead and communicate that it was our mistake and that we feel really bad about it. Next steps will be like how we'll continue to communicate and when. So that describes like when you're going to hear from us again, if this is constituents who are um, angry with you in an escalation, like if your CRM goes down or if you're missing a report, um, it gives you a really formal way to communicate like when you will hear back and an optional apology. Again, like you can approach this completely neutrally. It's usually quite cool, like uh, quite cool when that happens. It's not always part of it, but it's always generous. Uh, I have a pet peeve on like, I am sorry for any convenience, convenience, right? Like, I'm sorry for any convenience. The visit visitor center is closed. I'm sorry for any convenience. Your CRM went down. You have inconvenienced the person. It is okay. We are all human. We all make mistakes. It would be, it is far more um, validating and human to hear and to say, I'm sorry for the inconvenience or we messed up. Okay. And it is distinctly different from, different from, I'm sorry for any inconvenience that like makes the other person decide if they have felt inconvenienced. Okay. From our perspective, we really think um, about ways to, to own, um, even if we're not always at fault. The next piece about conflict and um, sort of the things that make our heart race is giving developmental feedback. And this is happening, could be with your student workers. It could be happening in your in as colleagues. And this conflict comes up because people are often resistant to hear the things that are, um, you know, not great about themselves. And you can do this in a way that will feel um, way better, way safer um, if you can couch feedback in this way. So you can make an observation and you can leave things as really um, like neutral. You don't have to make an, a judgment because you're not making a character assassination here. You're not saying like, um, Celine, like you are a bad person because you did X, Y, and Z in that last meeting. You can say like, when you said, or I observed that this happened or during the meeting, you, um, did something. And then you're going to describe the impact to the work. You're not going to talk about like how you felt, right? Like this is not a time, like you maybe labeled your own feelings, like this felt unfair or this felt bad. Um, but you want to talk about impact to the business. Like, the way I was impacted or really the way the, the the team or the group was impacted. Like, wow, it took everyone offline or wow, that really slowed down the work. Let me check. Like, how does that resonate with your understanding, right? You're getting their buy-in and you're getting their their um, information back to you about, um, about how they remembered it because you are just one person who observed one thing. Um, and you can ask for suggestions. Like this is, again, going co-creating on the next steps here and providing alternatives right? Like you can ask them first, like if they experience the same way, like, okay, like how should we move forward or what should we do next time? Um, and if they're drawing a blank, you can make some suggestions yourself. And then you can very quickly set an agreement about next steps. Given this, here's what our agreement is, celebrate the moment and move on, right? This can all happen really quickly in this framework. Um, and there are certain aspects of feedback that are happening well within those psychologically safe work environments that hopefully you and can can get going in your office. On the uh, feedback side, there's also an aspect of like, don't wait on feedback. Make sure you're giving this as close to in the moment as possible and always ask like, hey, I've got some feedback. Is, is this a good time? Okay, so that's a particularly uh, interesting part of difficult conversations or uh, conflict that really does have a framework to make it really clean. Um, once your conflict wraps, I really encourage all of you to take a second to reflect, 
figure out what you have learned, and then ask for feedback yourself. You may find that you loop right back into um, a moment where you're getting difficult feedback from someone else about your different read on it. Try to bring those like as your brain goes crazy, like resist this feedback or it feels really bad. You can do those same brain calming steps um, and then let that feedback in. I would recommend that you document these things for yourself if possible. Um, But we all have these moments of like being able to learn after a moment of conflict or after a difficult conversation. Um, A future Vine Down will talk about like how to run postmortems really well, which is an interesting way to to sort of run um, non-judgmental sort of work reviews about, about work outcomes. But I would encourage you as these difficult conversations and conflicts start to close up that you just take a second to reflect and get some feedback from yourself for yourself. So we talked about a lot of sources today. Um, We will make this deck available. Um, We've got a bunch of Amy's here, which is crazy. Um, Amy Gallo wrote Getting Along. Amy Gallo also wrote um, the HBR Guide to Dealing with Conflict, which I heavily cited here. Amy Edmondson is the one who writes about psychological safety. She wrote The Fearless Organization um, and actually a book about failure, which is really interesting, especially for those of us who are interested in sort of like Angela Duckworth's work around grit, which is a really important topic. Um, And then Amy Jensu wrote a book uh, called The Leader You Want to Be, Essential Principles of Bringing Your Best Self Every Day, as well as numerous articles. She's the the author of that, um, of the mantra about go to neutral. Um, that's the vine down for today, folks. I'm really happy to have done this solo show. Sorry, it was just me talking at you. We've got another couple minutes for questions or running through scenarios. If anyone out there wants to chat with us and we can go through any particular aspects of difficult conversations, conflict, escalation, um, happy to riff on those things. And I'll give that another minute while I talk about next week's show. So next week, we're talking with an admissions leader, Boyd Bradshaw, who is the VP of Enrollment at Towson. We're going to be talking a little bit about app generation. We're going to be talking about sort of that period of between um, Thanksgiving and Christmas where we're drumming up more applications ahead of application deadlines. We're going to be talking about um, ways in which the enrollment management profession has changed and become more data-driven over the last bunch of years. Um, And that will be a show where you're not just hearing from me and my talking at you all. yeah, really excited to have a guest on the show next week. Um, we'll have one more show before the winter break holidays, um, and then um, we'll take a quick break and then come back in the new year with tons of new Vine Down content for you all. I'm not seeing any questions, so hopefully this was like helpful professional development as I chatted to you in the background. Really happy to see everybody. Well, I didn't see anybody today. Really happy to talk at you today, admissions world. And that's it from the Vine Down. Thanks, folks.